let me know, hey, I'm not going to make it today. Um, it does my mind good to know that everything's okay. Amen. I'm not trying to uh, hover over you, but it just, I, I get to worrying about folks when they're not here. And so if you don't know by now, you're going to get a text message pretty quick after service. And uh, I actually showed up this morning, Sister Winnie, and I felt bad because I was like, man, I didn't text you last week. <laughs> anyway, yeah, well, congratulations to Abby. <laughs> Amen. Your niece. Yeah, well, wonderful. I see that, yeah. Amen. We'll be praying uh, for them that God will direct their steps going forward. Amen. I know I know it's that season where, where things are happening and, and lives are changing. There's lots of graduations. I've been, uh, I was supposed to be at two. I was supposed to be at Jasmine's, but I didn't make it to Jasmine's because we didn't get out of Tulsa quick enough. But uh, anyway, I know that uh, there's, there's just lots going on. Amen. But you know what? There's lots going on in the kingdom of God as well. So there's a lot going on in the kingdom of God as well. Amen. Amen. And uh, I, I hope somehow, I, I told Brother Tuffy while we were endeavoring to go through the Bible study this morning, that um, he, well, that train just derailed. Amen. Praise God. I remember telling you something, but I, I told you a few things, I guess. But um, Man, it'll come back to me in a little while. Oh, about this message. God put a heavy burden on my mind and my heart for this message today. And uh, while we were going through the Bible study, I just felt like we needed to stop and spend some time in prayer. And I, I really felt like God met with us this morning. And uh, I, I do know... There'll be more to this announcement in a little while, but I, I am, I am. I've talked to brother and sister Mendez thus far, and and I haven't talked to my wife yet. Um, but we have. I said last Wednesday, I think it was, that sometimes we need a little bit of a change, and uh, one of those things that I'm wanting to change a little bit to see what happens is I, I would like to, um, I know how we do split sessions for Sunday school, and, and we'll still do that to, a, to an extent, but I, I asked the Mendezes if they would be okay with, uh, we started here at 10 in the morning with, all, with everybody together, and uh, we'll have all the kids, we'll have um, everybody involved in here in the sanctuary, and one of the reasons for that is um, I want us to all kind of be involved, similar to what we did for our kids' church service that night. And uh, if you're wanting to help do songs and, and have fun and, and keep keep it to where these kids are very engaged, uh, I'm not saying the Mendezes weren't keeping the kids engaged. Please don't, please don't take it that way, all right? Um, they've been doing a great job, and I appreciate everything that the Mendezes have been doing, but I also know... I was a Sunday school teacher for a mighty long time, and if you're the only one doing it over and over, that things get tiresome, and uh, you get worn out, and so my thoughts are maybe not next week, 
I'll make that clear, not next week, but in the, ne in the weeks to come, I would like to uh, consider, um, I would like to hear from you folks. Let me know if you want to help be involved, similar to what we had for Kids Church. Uh, there will be some Sunday mornings we'll have the puppet stage set up, and uh, we'll be doing that for my, my thoughts are we're going to do that for the thir first 30 minutes, and then we'll have, we'll have them take the kids over next door and uh, have do, do snacks with the kids and all that good stuff. And while they're doing snacks, we'll jump into a Bible study over here as adults and spend 30 minutes in the Word of God, and then we'll have a prayer service. The reason for the prayer service is um, I really want to start seeing more kids come, and we're going to delve into the Word of God. I'm uh, sorry, we're going to delve into these communities going door to door saying, hey, we got some Sunday school stuff going on, and we want everybody excited about it, amen, because we want to bring kids in. And this will give us an opportunity during the prayer time. Somebody's going to have to take these kids home, potentially. Um, if some of them want to stick around for service, they're welcome to do that. I don't want them to feel like they have to be kicked out the door as soon as Sunday school's over. Um, because it'd do some of them good. It'd do them good to be able to be in the presence of the Lord. Amen. But uh, we'll spend time in prayer from 11 to 11.30. And 11.30, we'll just keep on going with our worship service as we have been. So just kind of give you a heads up as to what's in our mind and what we're thinking about doing as far as changing things up, trying to get more folks involved. Let's, let's, let's win these kids. Amen. These kids are, are not necessarily the church, the, the church of the future, but these kids, if we can get them rooted and grounded in the word of God today, amen, there's no telling what God can do with them in the future. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. All right, Isaiah chapter 64, verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> the Bible says, But we are all as unclean as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. There is none that calleth on the name of the Lord, upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our We are the clay, and thou art our potter. And we all are the work of thy hands. I'm not going to spend hardly any time at all on the first two verses. I just wanted to put into context, somewhat into context, the verse that I want to focus on, and that is verse number eight. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. And we are all the work of your hands. And so this morning, I want to talk to us from this small little subject 
Hopefully God can help me unpack it like I felt like he gave it to me last night and then finishing up this morning. Molded in his hand. Molded in his hands. If you are looking for God to speak to your heart, why don't you lift your voices to him this morning and let him know, God, I want to hear from you today. Can we talk to the Lord for a moment this morning? Lord, we love you. My God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy this morning. My God, I'm asking that you would help us, God, to find that place in the Holy Ghost where you would have us to be. God, I'm praying that you would anoint this mind of mine, that I could speak only what you have placed upon my heart. God, I'm asking that you would allow the Holy Ghost to flow freely in this sanctuary today. You are wonderful today. We magnify you, Jesus, and we glorify your holy name this morning. Can we give him a hand clap of praise today? We love you, Jesus. We magnify you in this house. You're worthy to receive honor today. Praise God. You can be seated this morning. Praise the Lord. Molded in his hands. I want to be molded in the hands of the Lord. I want him to fashion me in the way that he wants to fashion me. I want to be the vessel that he wants me to be. This was birthed as I was listening to somebody depict the difference between a painter and a potter. And as I began to listen and I began to ponder what they said, I began to think along some other lines and I began to ask God to give me clear direction and, and listen to what some of this is what he said. Some of this is what came to my mind. And I want you to consider the difference between a painter as an artist and a potter as an artist. A painter paints on a canvas. He paints in a fashion that we refer to as being 2D or two-dimensional. It's a flat surface. The pictures that have been painted, there are many beautiful paintings. One of my favorite painters to look through his paintings would be Thomas Kincaid. He has some beautiful, some beautiful pictures, and they're not very cheap either. But somebody gave us a Thomas Kincaid small little picture. I don't even know where it's at in the house now, but we had it for a long, long time. We have a blanket that has a replica of a Thomas Kincaid painting. And it's a beautiful layout. It's very serene. It's very, very calming to look at these pictures. And, and there's beauty in these pictures. But one of the things about the picture is technically... A painter only has to worry about one side. The painter's not worried about the back of the canvas because it's going to be hanging against the wall. He's not 
not, not always typically worried about the sides of the canvas either because that's going to be covered up by a frame of some kind. So his sole focus is just what you can see on the outside. But I considered a potter versus a painting. And the things that the potter has to make, not only does he have to worry about the front of the object, if you know where that's at, but he also has to worry about all of the other sides as well. Because as the potter's building his pottery or whatever he may be building at the time, it's built in what we call 3D or three-dimensional. There's all kinds of portions to this. And it's going to be evaluated not just on one side, but it's going to be evaluated on all sides, including the inside. With a, paint, with a potter, he has to worry about what does the inside consist of. In fact, as I studied pottery, some of, uh, in, 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 I, I read some of the guidelines that judges use to judge pottery. And one of the things that judges look for is a good, solid foundation. Guess where the foundation lives? On the inside of the pottery. If it's not built up right on the inside, it doesn't matter how beautiful it looks on the outside. It could easily become fragmented. It could easily become unusable if it's not properly tuned on the inside. You can already see where I'm going with this. You also look on the inside. That's where the food's going to be laid. That's where the liquid that you're going to be drinking is going to be laying. And so it has to be food safe as well. So they have to take good care to make sure that it doesn't have little crevices and, and all of those types of areas that, that bacteria can grow within. And, and so they, they have to take careful uh, detail, not just to what it looks like on the outside, but these potters have to worry about what does it consist of on the inside. How can the pottery be of big benefit? to those who purchase this. His view, his work is viewed on the outside from every vantage point. And his work, the potter's work, is also judged by what it looks like on the inside and how it's fashioned on the inside. Now a potter in and of himself must understand a few things. And I began to dig into the different intricacies, nice fancy word for what are all the detailed portions of what a potter has to be have, what kind of traits in life does a potter need in his own life. And, and, and as I begin to study this, here's a few things that I begin to notice that a potter must have as characters characteristics in his own life. And that is, number one, a potter must understand his material. A potter needs to know the properties of all the different types of clay. 
Number two, how does that different, all the different types of clay react under different conditions? And how do I apply glazing and firing techniques? And how will they affect each of the different types of clay? A potter must not only know the material, but he also must have skill. Building pottery is a hands-on job. You're not just going to, I know they have, I know they have uh, uh, machinery now, but it still in, involves something or someone getting involved and making sure that they're shaping things just right and holding things and, and cutting them just right. A potter must be able to shape the clay, manipulate it on the wheel, and, and handle it delicately during the carving, glazing, and firing processes. You can't just take the clay that hasn't been through the furnace and just handle it any old way that you want to because it, you can knock it out of shape. I remember in art class, I was not a good potter. Um, I was in uh, second grade. And they took us down to the art room, and they had us build these little things, and, and uh, it was fun doing it. And I had fun shaping the, the, the clay, but, you know, I had a hard time walking easily to the furnace or to the, to the oven in which I was to place this beautiful pottery that I had made. And I dropped it a couple times, and I had to go back to the table, and I... I don't know why I remember all this stuff, but I do remember picking it up off the floor and, and my teacher having so much grace and so much patience with me and helping me get it all back together. And, and uh, yeah, Grandma, I wasn't very talented when it came to making pottery. But at the end of the day, we finally got it in the oven. And it was much due to the fact that my teacher ended up putting it all back together for me and taking it over there. But it often requires, to that point, a great deal of practice and a great deal of patience. Thank God for a patient teacher. The potter must have not only the skill to make the pottery, not only that, not only does he need to know the clay, but the potter also has to have a creative vision. I'm not a creator. <laughs> I can make things work. You tell me how you want it. You give me a picture. I'll make it just like the picture. But this guy right here, mm -mm. that's why they make templates. I had somebody comment on our website one day, and I, they said, man, your website looks great. Who did it for you? I said, well, I did that. And they said, well, man, that's awesome. You're so creative. I started laughing. I said, no, not this guy. I found a template that I liked the layout of, and I just said, okay, let's do this. And I changed the names, and boom, we, we had a website. Thank God for somebody that has a vision. A potter has to have a vision. How do I want this clay to look? How can I take this lump of nothingness 
and begin to form it into fashion. Every potter brings his own unique artistic vision to their work. And this might be expressed in the shapes that they choose, the patterns that they carve, the colors that they use, or the ways they incorporate other materials. I'm not going to be breaking all of this down. I just want to run through this very quickly. I'm almost done describing a potter. A potter must understand the firing process. No, we're not talking about the firing squad. But the firing process involves how hot do I get the oven? What do I use to heat the oven? And as I was studying, I found out that the different elements that you use, electric heat does certain, has certain properties. If you want your clay to do certain things, you would use different types of wood to heat it. Didn't know that. Found that pretty interesting. All these are interesting facts. And you guys are like, I don't care. I'm not going to ever be a potter, so it doesn't really matter. Well, I'm going somewhere. Just ride with me just a moment more. They have to understand the right temperature to put this type of clay into. They have to understand how long does that clay have to go into the fire until it's ready to be pulled back out. And it needs to, they, they need to know the suitable type of kiln or oven or heating area because it is crucial to the outcome of the pottery. For example, if you don't know, understand what I'm trying to talk about, I didn't either. So I had to go look it up. And uh, so essentially what we're talking about, the different types of kilns, the different types of heating uh, processes that they go through is determined by what they're trying to build. So if they're trying to build ceramics, they would put it in a certain type of kiln. If they were trying to build glass, they would have another type of kiln or another type of heating source. Metal and brick, metal clay and enamels, all of these have to be put in different styles of kilns. Amen. I'm going somewhere with this one. Just ride with me. The potter also, lastly, and most importantly, the potter must be patient. The process from going from a lump of clay to a beautiful pot is a long, intensive, arduous process. And it involves many stages. Sometimes a piece might crack or there may be a lump that they can't work out of it. So they're going to have to refashion it and they're going to have to push it back down and, and all of that wonderful stuff. But a potter needs to have patience to see the process through from start to finish. And the perseverance to continue even if things go wrong. All that being said, he is the potter, and I am the clay. I, I realized that the scripture had talked about this idea of a potter and, a, and the clay, but I didn't realize how often the Bible talked about this process. I didn't count them, so I don't have the number off the top of my head today, and I don't have it in my notes either. But it was just astonishing to me how many times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that God referred to us as being the clay in which the potter 
had to mold into whatever vessel that he wanted to. I want to tell you this morning that he, being the potter, understands the material that he is working with. You're not the same kind of material that I am, and I'm not the same kind of material that you are. Amen. But thank God he knows all the kinds of material that he has to work with. And let me tell you something. If God had all, all the material that I'm made out of, and that's all the kingdom of God consisted of, my goodness, we would have a terrible kingdom to be a part of. But God knew he had to have different styles and different types of people that he needed in the kingdom of God to accomplish all of the things that God has in store for his people. That means he needs you just like he needs me. And he needs your children just like he needs you. Amen. And we can keep going on and on and on. But God knows us from the beginning of our life which is not at our birth, but at our conception. Can I get an amen this morning? He knows the difference in each and every piece of clay that he chooses. That's another key. He chose you. Every person that he calls out of this world, he handpicked you. Out of all of the other lumps of clay in this world, he chose me. And he chose you because you're sitting on this pew today. He loved you. He saw something in you. He chooses us and he chooses the vessel that he wants us to be. He is creating me and I must be pliable or workable in his hands. Isaiah 45 in verse number 9 says, Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou? Or thy work? He has no hands. The, the, the writer of Romans, the apostle Paul, came back and he referred back to what Isaiah had to say in Isaiah 45, and he said it this way, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Amen. But he goes on in verse number 21, Has not the potter power over the clay and the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? God knows what you would be most beneficial as in the kingdom. God knows what he wants and longs for you to be in his kingdom. And he has power over the clay. Amen. All power in heaven and in earth belongs to him. The scripture tells us this on more than one occasion. And he, he can not only, he doesn't only have all power, but he has all knowledge. We know that he is omniscient. We know that he is omnipotent. And we know that he is omnipresent. You say, what, what are you saying? I just said that he is all powerful. I said that he is all knowing and that he is everywhere. Amen. So that he can help us in a moment's notice when we call on his name. That's the God that I serve. Not only is he all those wonderful things, but he, has, he doesn't have a beginning, nor will he ever have an end. That means God's not going anywhere. 
He's always been here. And you have the ability to reach out and say, here I am, God. I don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through. I don't understand why I'm in this part of the process. But let me tell you, my friend, he knows where you are. And he knows how to help you. He knows how we react in different circumstances. Some of us are more laid back than others. Some of us are very much over the top. And that's all right because God knows how to work with you and he knows how to work with me. He meant certain things set us off. He meant, but God knows how to help us even if we are set off. He meant, God knows where to take us when, when he knows that we're overwhelmed with life. Amen. The one that I feel like can talk about it the most. Job said it this way in Job 23 verses 8 through 10. He said, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And I go backward, and I cannot perceive him on the left hand where he does work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. But one thing I know. He knows the way that I take because he's guiding my steps. When he has, there's another key. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Thank God that he loves me enough, Sherry, that he can, he can say, I know that I'm going to put you in the fire, my child, but everything's going to be all right because I know how much heat you need and I know exactly how long you need to be there and I know just when I need to pull you out whenever things all right. Amen. I know when you come out of that, you're not just going to be gold, but you're going to be pure gold. Amen. Because he's working on me. He's helping me. He's helping me get all the impurities out. He's helping me change. He's helping me to become a vessel of honor as opposed to a vessel of dishonor. Hallelujah. He knows just what we need in our lives to get us to the final product that he desires. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says it this way, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. He knows. He knows. He knows. Somebody say he knows. He knows what the plan is for my life, amen, and he's not just letting me dangle out here all on my own, but no, I'm in the hand of the master potter. I'm in the hand of the one who is shaping me and molding me into what he needs me to be, amen. In fact, I submit to you this morning that he is the most skillful potter, amen, that has ever been or ever has been. In fact, when he is done with something, he knows and he looks over it and he says it this way, it is very good. He did it before. Genesis chapter number one and verse number 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. He looked over everything that he had been working on. And he said, you know what? Man, that's very good. It's very good. Man, I did a good job on this one. Man, he looks great. Man, I think he's about ready. Man, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. 
But I can tell you this much. When God works on my life and when God fashions me and he molds me, he man, he looks over me. Yes, he does. Man. No rough spots. Looking good. But what's beautiful about it is he not only looks on the outside, he looks on the inside. And he said, you know what? Let me make sure I got the foundation just right. You know what kind of foundation we should have in our life? <laughs> the chief cornerstone. Amen. Don't be ashamed of who it is or what it is. What is, our, what is the foundation that we should be founded upon? Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone upon which every one of us Christians should be founded. Amen. That should be the base foundation. In fact, I'll tell you this. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus told Peter, he said, listen to this, boy. He said, that revelation that you have, when Jesus asked him, whom say ye that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ. Ah. And Jesus said, man, you're blessed, Simon, because flesh and blood didn't give you this revelation. He said, but it's upon that revelation that my church is going to be built upon. And guess what? When the church is built upon that revelation of who Jesus is, guess what? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, can I get an amen this morning? God knows what he's doing. God knows how he's fashioning us. We've just got to learn how to trust the master potter. Amen. He is a skillful potter. He is a hands-on God. Well, it's quiet in here this morning. He is a hands-on God. That means his hands on your life and your life and your life and your life, my life. I can tell you my God's hand isn't too small that he can't hold us all. My God knows exactly what he's doing in each and every one of our lives at the same time. Ecclesiastes chapter number 9, verse number 1 says, For all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all of this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in whose hand? In the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them, but they can know this. I'm in the hand of God. My wisdom comes from him. My, my direction comes from him. And it's all because I'm in his hand. He's guiding me. He's leading me. But you've got to allow him to do that. He's not going to force you to go that direction. He's not going to force you to change those things in your life. He's not going to force you to remove the lump from your life. He'll try to work with you. He'll try to change it. He'll try to work it out. But if you don't remove it yourself, he's going to leave you as you are. I, 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 I don't have this in my notes. I didn't want to even go this direction. But I want you to understand this. God will work with us. God will work on us. God will show us what needs to be removed. But if we refuse to remove it, he will move on. You understand what I'm talking about this morning? I don't, I'm not trying to talk in code right now. I'm, I'm trying to be plain as I can be. If we're not willing to allow God to work on us and work in us and change us and make us who we need to be, 
if he's working on your heart and your mind and your life and your soul and, and you're reading the word of God and all of a sudden you see something in the word of God and God says, hey, you need to take that, that thing that you just saw that's not right and you need to take it out of your life. And if I refuse to take it out of my life, guess what's going to happen? He's just going to say adios. I'll come back later and see if you're ready then. But his kingdom has to keep moving forward. You guys with me today? The potter knows what he's doing. And he knows that there are things that sometimes get in the clay that have to be removed in order for it to be a beautiful vessel. A vessel of honor is what I'm longing to be in his hands. But if, if I end up being a, a, a vessel of dishonor, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to end up out in the potter's field. I'm going to end up shattered amongst so many other folks who decided, hey, I don't want to go this direction. I don't want to surrender my life to God. I don't want to give him the, the, the power over me like he longs. Amen. Why would he? Uh, let me tell you something. Him having power over me is so much better than me trying. He meant to contain control of my life because, look, I can't see the big picture. Only he can. I'm not the one that created the universe. I'm not the one that created mankind. But the creator, not only, another place calls him the author and the finisher of our faith. Look, if he's the author, he knows the end from the beginning. He knows where you began. He knows where you can end. But he's not going to force you to go there. You've got to allow him to continue working and building that story in your life. Amen. You've got to allow him to say, hey, I know the direction. Amen. But no, God, I know better. I've got this thing. I know where I want to go. I know what I want to do with my life. And, and God says, are you sure that's what you want to do? And when God says, are you sure to me, my friend, let me tell you something. I have to step back and say, whoa, wait a minute. Wait, what did you just say? I said, are you sure? Is that really what you want to do? You remember your mom and dad? You get over next to the stove. I know I'm using a real generic one, but the little kid gets over by the stove, and you've told him 20, 30, 40 times, maybe 125 times, I don't know. Don't touch that stove. It's hot. Bless God, I'm going to go, that, that little toddler, he's going to get over there and he's going to touch that stove. And mom says, no, get away. And she gets upset. I told you to get away from the stove. You're not supposed to go next to the stove. And Mateo's over there saying, man, why can't I go by the stove? It's just right there. I'm not going to get on the thing. I'm not jumping on the thing. But guess what? When somebody's cooking on the stove, that stove is hot. I remember my dad, uh, I, I got to be good. I'm going to try to finish this very quickly. But, but you got to understand, me and Brother Jason have been working on my father-in-law's car, and now I'm thinking of all these things that me and my dad ended up doing as I was growing up. And we were out there working on a riding mower. My dad's riding motors never had hoods on them. Because we were working on it so much that it was just in the way. Well, guess what? There's this thing called a muffler on those things. 
And I tell you what, my dad told me, I don't know how many times, Brother Tuffy, don't go down there by that muffler. But one day he had been out mowing and he got it stuck in the creek. And you know, most, most riding mowers, the, the muffler, if it's, a, if it's an old school mower, not zero turn, the muffler is on the very front of the engine pointing out the front. And dad's like, hey, go ahead, grab down there, grab that bar and push that thing out. Well, me and my crazy kid mind, say, man, that bar's too far down. I'm just going to grab this thing right here and I'm going to push that thing. And I did. And my hands were swole for three weeks. No, it wasn't three weeks, but it was a long time. And I remember my, the palms of my hands. You know how the blood blister comes on there? Not the blood blister, the, the the blister shows up and it just swells up. My whole hand was swole up and, and uh, my mom still made me go to school and write. Can you believe that? I could barely hold a pencil. She still made me go to school. She's so mean. But you know what? Right on the front of that thing, when I looked at it later, it says big bold letters. Caution. Hot. Well, you know what? Sometimes God's putting that caution sign in front of our face and we're not paying attention to what he's saying. And we're saying, oh, whatever. God, this is going to be the easiest way. And, and you regret it for quite some time because you're like, man, I should have listened. I should have listened. And sometimes, sometimes, some folks say, I always go with my gut. Well, I've had my gut get me in trouble sometimes. Especially at the ice cream machine. I'm just kidding. I got to be good. But I just want you to understand, God is always watching out for you and for me. And he's always got us there and he's trying to work on us. Sometimes we think, man, God, you're letting it get way too hot. I'm going to be destroyed if you let it get any hotter or if you leave me in here any longer. But let me tell you something. God knows just how hot that fire needs to be. He knew how, he knew what, man, let me, let me tell you this. The, the Hebrew boys, they went into the fiery furnace, right? Consider it. The fiery furnace was turned up so hot that the big strong men that threw them in, they died just outside of the, of the furnace. But those Hebrew boys come walking out of there. And the Bible said they didn't smell like smoke. And the only thing that was burned off of them was the ropes that they had gone in with. God knew what kind of fire and what kind of heat those boys could take. And if God knew what they could take, literally, how many of you think that God wouldn't know how much I can take figuratively? Think about it. God knows. Jesus even, Jesus, Jesus was there. And, and let me tell you, Jesus began to say, uh, sorry, let me back up just a little bit. God knows. The potter knows. He has a vision. And we talked about this a while ago. I'm going to try to hurry through this. Amen. I'm going to back up even further. First Peter 5 and 6. Peter says it this way. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that, you may, may, that he may exalt you in due time. He knows how to shape me, he knows how to mold me, and he knows how to put me on that wheel and, and form me just right. Amen. But not only does he know that, 
but he knows it because he has a vision for my life. He meant his will for you is not the same as other people. He created you different than everybody else. Not one man on this world has the same exact fingerprints. It's a proven fact. Not one woman in this world, not one individual in this world has the same fingerprints. But I can tell you this. 1 Corinthians 12 and 11 says, But all these things, these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. God knows what he needs you to do in his kingdom, and he's going to give you the gift that you need to be able to fulfill his will in his kingdom. And he's got to work on your life so that you can grow and you can, you can be fashioned in and be able to receive the gift that he wants to give to you and for you to operate in. Amen. I'm not trying to sound charismatic, but I'm just trying to help you understand. If you do a study of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 and 14, amen, you're going to realize God wants us to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. But in order for us to do that, we've got to be willing that he can work in our lives and mold us and fashion us just how he needs to, to make us. Amen. If you think I'm off my rocker, I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Jesus taught his, his disciples this in, in Matthew 25 and 15. Amen. Unto one he gave five talents, unto another two, and, un, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. Let me say what, let me just explain what I'm trying to get across. Amen. These three men, God knew exactly how much each of them could handle. And so he gave them what he knew that they could handle. And God began to use them. And we know what happened to the one that didn't bring anything else back but the one. But the others, they said, okay, God entrusted me with this much. I've got to do something with it. God puts things in our lives so that we can do things with them. He didn't give me the circumstance so that I can, that I can fester over it and then I can throw a fit about it and I can, I can, I can just roll in the, in the depression of, of, of my life is so horrible. No, but God let me go through it because he knows there's somebody else down the road that I'm going to meet so that I can reach out and say, hey, let me tell you, I went through something similar to what you had to go through and let me tell you what God helped me do. Let me tell you what helped me make it through that thing. Amen. And I was able to become something better when I was all finished and all said and done. Amen. You don't, you, you need to do something. You can't just take what God gives you and hold it close. But God gave it to you so that you would use it. And you, God would God gave it to you so that you could build more into his kingdom. We need to do something about it. He may need you to be a vase. He may need you to be a pitcher. He may just need you to be a cup or a bowl or a serving plate or, or something to that effect. But, but understand, all of us have our place in the kingdom of God. Amen. We can go through it. I've already gone through much of this. But he understands the firing process. He knows the right amount of heat that's needed. He knows the right amount of time to keep us in the fire. 
He knows what type of fire to use in our lives. Amen. Maybe somebody, amen, in this place has to go through some things. I'm not saying maybe I should change that in the notes, but let me tell you something. You're going to go through things in life, but it's only because God is working, amen, to build a vessel of honor in your life. Amen. You say, what, what does that look like? Well, it could be financial trouble. It could be family problems. It could be temptation to pass in. It could be whatever you can, you can muster up or think about in your mind. But always remember that whatever you go through, he is always right there with you, bringing you out at the right moment. The fire is necessary in order for me to be what God wants me to be. Thank God he is patient with me. Amen. The process to get us to the exact place he wants is a long, arduous process. But he will and is working with us through it the entire time as we, amen, we just got to remember what God is doing in our life is building us so that we can help build the kingdom of God. Hebrews 12 and 2 said, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. First Corinthians chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 says, who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. God is faithful. Verse 9 says, Amen. I, I, I would read the rest, but I, wish, I just want you to understand God is faithful. Sometimes we get in the way, sometimes we cause trouble in the process, but He is always there to help us fix what got messed up. Amen. Even if it means starting over, he's still patient with me. Amen. I don't believe it's his will that we have to start over all the time, but he will put us back on the wheel and begin working and carving on us again as long as we let him do it. And the last point I want to cover this morning, Sister Reagan, if you could come. He isn't looking to just create a painting out of your life, my friend. But rather, he is looking to create a vessel of honor. Romans chapter 9, verse 21 says, Hath not the powder power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? His work in your life, it matters on all of the external parts of your life. It does matter what you look like on the outside, my friend. God takes pride in the, in the vessels that he makes and he wants them to look good on the outside. But he also realizes before he can make the outside look the best he can, he's got to make sure that the foundation on the inside is properly formed. It's got to be safe. If he's going to be serving people out of this out of this pottery, he's got to make sure that it's safe on the inside of, of the vessel that he's using. Amen. You can look good on the outside all that you want, but if you're not formed just right on the inside and if, if you've got nastiness on the inside, let me tell you, honey, you can look as beautiful as you can on the outside, but if you've got something that's going to destroy somebody on the inside, God can't use you.
it's important that he get the insight right. Because not only is it healthy for us, it's healthy for those that we're working with. But if the inside structure isn't right either, then our vessel won't be strong enough to withstand the use that God needs to use me as. If I'm constantly destroying what he's trying to do. Only you and only God know what's on the inside. And that's why I'm reaching to you this morning. Going back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If I get broken, if I, if I mess things up, it's not the will of God that anybody should perish, folks. But there's one thing that he does wish, and what is his will, is that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3 and 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We need him. So we need him. I said we need him. We need him on the inside to ensure we have the power and the strength to face our life. How do we get that power on the inside? Well, Jesus told his disciples, he said it's going to come through the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. He said, when the Holy Ghost has come, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said to you. And Peter tells us this is how you get that Holy Ghost on the inside. You've got to first repent, Acts 2 and 38. You've got to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So as I close this morning and as we stand today, I got a question for you. I'll say, as I, before I ask the question, I, I woke up this morning, I wish I would have got the lyrics of the song, I didn't do it, but I woke up this morning with this old song on my mind it's titled The Potter's House and the song simply says this why don't you bring in the fragments of your life you say pastor well I've got the Holy Ghost that's good but sometimes we end up cracking something in the pottery that God's been making in our life and sometimes brother Tuffy we gotta take it and we gotta say alright here Master Potter, can you take this and can you fix it? Can you make me back to what I need to be? Can you help me be the vessel that you originally wanted me to be? So my question to you this morning is, will you give him the fragments of your life? Will you allow him to remove the rough edges and to put you back together again. He knows 
what's best. He knows what he wants in your life. Will you be willing to give yourself to him? These altars are open this morning. All I know is that God put this burden on my heart. Maybe it's not for anybody in this room today.